0: Love Talk Radio
1: I own it, I did that, not proud but that was me And when I face it, I take that a little dignity Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free Welcome. This is the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean and as always I'm happy to be hosting tonight along with Amanda and Catherine. Hello, you too. Hi. Hey Jean. How are you doing?
2: Great. I miss oh, you. I'm- I haven't I haven't I've been, been around for a while.
1: I know, we've missed you too. We yeah, haven't had the organized, you. thoughtful direction of Catherine keeping Spacey, Amanda, Jean on track. So I don't know about
0: that.
2: <laughs> We've
1: had to be grown ups. <laughs> Amanda, I just called you Spacey, but I I meant it yeah, lovingly. Yeah, that's all right. It's fitting. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, we're here tonight to talk about uh, Sober First Part Two. So it's a continuation of an earlier show we did, and it turned out to be such a rich subject that we decided we would. Uh, do a second episode to finish all the stuff we didn't get to the first time around. So tonight we're going to be trying to cover everything from going to meetings, going to work, talking to other people, and we're even going to take a stab at talking about Sober S-E-X. So bravely rejoining us tonight are Megan and Kristen. Hello, you two. Hello. 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 Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being so kind as to give us another hour of your time and to be willing to keep talking. Our our listeners really enjoyed your last uh, uh, appearance, I guess, on the show. So thanks for coming back again. Yeah.
3: Nice you're to welcome be back again.
1: Now, Kristen blogs about recovery at tellingthewords.wordpress.com. And Kristen, tell us a little bit about your life and recovery.
3: Um. I'm a mom that's kind of, like, front and center in my life right now. Um, and I, about eight months ago now, um, decided that I really needed to quit drinking. Um, my drinking really escalated after I had kids. I'm not really sure why. I guess just the pressures. I've read a lot of other people whose stories are similar where, you know, there were problem drinkers to begin with, didn't really have any trouble quitting drinking when they were pregnant and all of that Um, and then just kind of realized that they were on this crazy roller coaster um, after they had kids, and I felt that exact way. I just felt like I wasn't being a good mom. Um, My older daughter started showing interest in my perpetual glass of wine, and I just realized that, you know, although I knew all along that I was a problem drinker, being a mom and a problem drinker was just not going to work for me, so... I did a lot of research within the bubble hour, um, kind of pretty much made it my second job to dive into recovery and started blogging just um, kind of as a way to shout out to the universe from here. You know, I'm going through this with everyone and came across Jean first at tickled and, you know, found a lot of support with her and, you know, found that to be like incredibly touching that you know here I am reaching out to like a real live person and I'm not alone Um, and so ever since then I've just been plugging along and I think you know just really discovering what a joy and you know just like the miracle of life and it sounds like overstated but it really isn't I mean I feel like a totally newborn person and I'm just really really enjoying sobriety and I'm so so grateful that I found all the resources that I needed when I needed them, and I'm just discovering that you know life really is beautiful, and I'm happy to give back in any way I can.
1: Oh, wow, that my heart is just like shooting off rainbows and fireworks, and and just <laughs> listening to you talk like that. Oh, it's just so fantastic. The example you're setting for your daughter, as you said, you you noticed she was starting to notice and. And and you yeah. just rose up to that challenge as a mom and and I love that you said you made it your second job because you are a busy lady you have little kids twins yeah, in yeah. fact and yeah. uh-huh. uh, and you work and yeah you I know you're busy and um, that yeah. you dug deep and and found the energy to not only um, throw yourself into recovery but to really I know you've worked really hard at it and I can hear the joy that it's brought you that's fantastic. So we're excited, we're excited to uh, to hear some more about your experiences as we go forward tonight. But first I want to bring in Megan. Megan writes a lifestyle blog called crazybananas.com. And Megan, tell us a bit about yourself.
3: Well, thanks for having me again. It's so great to be here on the Bubble Hour again because the Bubble Hour was one of the first places that I went when I was starting to try to reach out and figure out if it was possible for me to even consider stopping drinking. Um, I've been sober about a year and a half now, um, and it's been a roller coaster, but it's been really, really wonderful um, in the end, and I'm just so happy to be on the ride. Um, I was a lot like a lot of other people that I've met along this journey. I'm a mom, too. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, and they were six and two when I um, quit, Um, And I'm so grateful that I quit when they were young Um, But, you know, I had always been a problem drinker as well From a very um, young age, teenage, young teenage years um, And went through some traumatic events and drank to figure out how to deal with them I didn't know how to handle emotions at all or feelings And I just wanted everything to be okay I wanted to take care of everyone and to be perfect And so I found alcohol as a way I could escape some of that pressure to be perfect and to constantly be the caretaker in the lives of my family and friends. And um, then I actually got pregnant um, unexpectedly, um, and that kind of sent my world into a tailspin. I was in my early 20s. I was out of college, but it just wasn't in my life plan. And from then on, after that pregnancy um, and as I was raising my daughter, I kind of drank because I felt I deserved it, because I really resented this position I'd been put in in my life, all of a sudden I had to be responsible and I had to be the mom and all of my friends were out still having fun and doing their post-college fun stuff. And I just felt like, well, I can sit at home and drink my wine then if everybody else is out doing all these other things. Um, and that really started kind of a, a series of isolation and drinking to isolate myself. And that continued on um, and just, you know, progressively got worse. This is a progressive disease and it definitely affected me. In that way, and um, I quit drinking for both my pregnancies, but after my second pregnancy, I came back to it so much quicker, um, and it was so much worse, um, and I just made choices that were not me, and um, I started to get really scared because I saw where it was going, and I just didn't want something horrible to happen to me or my husband or my kids, and so I started kind of doing the whole what everybody does, which is Google, am I an alcoholic or symptoms of an alcoholic? and found uh yep yep I definitely was one and um I had followed um a blog that is linked to an online group um that we're all a part of and um through that found the bubble hour and started reaching out and um and now it's just a totally different world for me um like Kristen was saying it's it's like a whole new universe you know and I was a person and I was talking about this this week with some friends that just used to be – I was very much known for being like a cynical, sarcastic kind of jerk face. That was kind of my humor. That's who I was. And it's just so different from who I am today. You know, I'm just a person that I'm constantly in awe of how lucky I am and that I get to live this life. And I think that's one of the gifts of being an alcoholic Because you know, when you've seen the darkest part of yourself – when you're out in the light again, you're just amazed to be there. And um, I'm really, really grateful to be where I am at today and to be on the show and to give back as well because um, giving back and telling my story and talking to other alcoholics is how I stay sober. So being able to do that is a wonderful thing. Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks, Megan. And you know we, Megan. you were just saying about the person you used to be. We, we're in the same online group together, and one thing that a lot of us do from time to time is we dig up a picture from when we were drinking and compare it to how we look today sober. So we'll sort of we'll sort of paste, uh, post a before and after sort of thing. And Megan, I you just posted one like that recently, and mm-hmm. it never ceases to amaze me just how all of us sort of had this sort of sad, just dead look in our eyes, and and then, you know, the the photo, as we're into recovery and we start feeling that gratitude and joy and hope in our lives, a sparkle comes back. And, I mean, how did you feel when you saw that for the first time, when you looked back at that photo and realized, oh, my gosh, how much I've changed?
3: Um, yeah, I actually did that for the first time. I was very, very lucky that I attended a recovery meeting really, really early on where the leader said one of the best things that he ever did um, and his journey was to take a photo of himself on his day one, the first day of sobriety, and save that and look at it all the time to remember what he looked like. And so I did that. Um, and I had a picture, and then the first time I did it before and after, I was only four months sober. And, and just in four months of sobriety, the difference, it was actually shocking to me because I mm-hmm. think at that point, I didn't really realize how bad it had gotten. I knew how bad I felt inside. But since in my life, personally, Nobody had ever really reached out to me saying, we think you have a problem or we think something's wrong. And so I was in huge denial that I was just hiding this problem from the whole world. And now when I look back at these photos, I'm like, it's so physically obvious how different it is. It amazes me that I got that bad and that I couldn't see it. It's amazing. It just shows, you know, how strong this disease is. But it also shows how awesome recovery is because, like you said, It's not even just the physical characteristics. It's that. I don't even, like you said, it's that sparkle. I don't even know how to describe it, but you can see it in the eyes of people that are recovering. And maybe it is just, you know, that gratefulness that we know where it could have gone, and it didn't. And just Mm -hmm. that look in someone's eyes, it's just really incredible. Mm
1: hmm Catherine, did
3: you have a question?
2: Yeah, well, Megan, thanks so much. And I remember those photos and what good advice to, uh, you know, take a picture in early recovery and kind of track ourselves. Um, I'm glad not to have those dead fish eyes anymore in my photos. But (laughs) you mentioned that the bubble hour was one resource that you found and the way you phrased it was when you were trying to figure out would it be possible for me to stop. And just kind of in the spirit of of sober first what were what were some of the things that kind of came through in those early days that made you say that were sort of light bulb moments like, wait, maybe this is possible
3: um well, I remember very specifically because um I had to go on a business trip, and that was my during this business trip was the longest stretch I had of um not drinking until I reached the day that ended up being the day that I stopped um for now and um and I downloaded a bunch of bubble hour podcasts to take on my phone to listen to on the airplane. It just felt like, you know, having you guys in my ears, like having, you know, my buddies beside me to protect me from the world out there. And I remember Aww. very specifically an episode about, um, oh my goodness, it was about high-functioning alcoholics. And and I've heard it referenced a lot in in people that I talk to in recovery circles that listen to the bubble hour because and you have someone on who... Um, she had written a book. I can't even remember now. Um, but she's a high-functioning alcoholic. And she was telling my story. And she was in recovery. And I was like, oh, my God, not only, yes, she is an alcoholic, <laughs> therefore, mm-hmm. I probably am one too, but she's sober. So you it's possible, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and there were a lot of episodes like that. A lot of times where I would just, someone would say something, even just, you know, about their kids or about their husband, about their job, where I would say, I do that, too, and they're sober. So if they do that and I do that, but they're sober, then I can be sober. It was just like, you know, it was constant little light bulbs flickering around. And and obviously, finally, it stuck, which is such a blessing. And even now, when I listen, you know, especially when it's like I'm in a weird place or I'm not feeling good, I'll, I'll go back and listen to those older episodes or listen to newer ones, and I'm always amazed. It doesn't matter how much time somebody has, a ton, a little bit, hardly any, whatever – we're all the same, and it's just so incredible to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Kristen, how about you? Do you does any of this resonate with you? Looking at old pictures or thinking back to those early days when you were contemplating recovery, are you are you having any? Are, is your head nodding as you're listening to this? Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I didn't actually take a before picture, but I know that I know how I felt inside, and I know that I looked like how, <laughs> I mean, like, puffy eyes, I mean, the, the number one thing for me was actually physical, um, I started, I'll share whatever, it's probably too much information, but I started having like some really, like, uncomfortable digestive distress, and mm. I just, like, just really feel, like, every time I drank, you know, just, like, feeling really bloated, like, sharp pains in my stomach, and... You know, that couple with you know, just knowing that I had a problem, knowing that I this was around the holidays, too, so I felt, like, last Christmas, like, feeling physically, like, really miserable and, like, also really disappointed in myself because I had really hoped that, like, that would be my first holiday season sober. Um, and, you know, for me, it was actually, like, a physical thing that, like, kicked off. Like, I I can do this. I think I really, really need to quit drinking because I'm having – Signs that my body is just not liking what I'm doing to it. And um, my brother-in-law is an alcoholic and he had um, a peptic ulcer. And if his um, wife at the time hadn't found him lying on the bathroom floor in a pool of blood, he would be dead now. She brought him to the emergency room. This is kind of thing was just like these stories were circulating. It had happened right around the same time. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, what if that's me? You know, what if I have, you know, an ulcer or something you know, so it was kind of a physical preoccupation. But then also, um, you know, when I was doing the same exact thing, Googling, you know, am I an alcoholic? Yes, yeah, I know like, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm looking for, you know, some kind of sign that says maybe I'm not, you know, until I know that I am. You know, that's kind of when it all like coalesced with physical issues and then, you know, finding other people who were saying life is so much better. And, like, how can that be? You know, because I drink feel better, but then now I'm not feeling better. It's actually Mm -hmm. making me feel worse in a very physical way, you know. And then all, you know, Jean from Unpickled is saying she feels so much better. She's happier. Life is better. You know, and, like, all these people that I found online were blogging and saying that, you know, life is just so much better sober. And that's the main thing. I think the physical thing is what, like, kicked it off. But I think what what really – cemented me in, you know, the effort to become sober and live a sober life is just kind of the promise that, okay, it might not be better today, but all of these people are saying that it gets better. So I'm going to wait until, you know, it starts getting better. I'm going to wait and see if it does, you know, start getting better. And I just kind of stayed sober in the early days on that, you know, kind of promise that, you know, they say it's going to get better. And, you know, sure enough, It does. It doesn't get, you know, I mean, the physical things got better, like, right away. But the actual just, you know, inner, you know, sense of, you know, peace and calm, you know, that takes a lot of time. It's You know, it's continuing today, you know, it'll continue the rest of my life. But, you know, that was the thing that I really, like, you know, that really reeled me in, you know, was just that this will get better, life will get better, they say it will get better, and it does. Absolutely.
1: Well, let's jump forward then to this part where we're at now because I think we're all saying, "Yeah, it does get better. It is better." How about once we're at that point and we're ready to start opening up about our recovery and and tell other people about about it or or step forward, some of we're all at different stages with that. Uh uh Amanda's like Ethel Merman, wah, she's out there. I'm a little quiet. I I talk very openly, but from behind uh, my pen name as Unpickled, Uh, still trying to figure out how the heck to just connect all the dots in my life. Um, Megan, on our last podcast, that was the first time, you know, you sort of, said publicly about your blog and that you're sober at the same time. So how have you felt about that since then?
3: Um, it's been interesting, um, but it's, it's good. I think sometimes, I know this isn't true of everyone, but for me, a lot of um, my alcoholic tendencies um, push me towards trying to stay comfortable and not pushing myself into the uncomfortable. And sometimes you need to be pushed. Into the uncomfortable to get to something really good, and so I'm still kind of in the process, and um, I've I've thought about it because this month is actually National Recovery Month, September, and so I've thought about really coming out kind of on my blog, but I haven't done it yet. I'm still thinking about it, leaning towards yes, um, but I did actually have a friend of mine who has been wonderful in my recovery, and she's a normie. She's a person who doesn't have a problem with alcohol, but has been just someone who's incredibly supportive of my journey. And she knew I was on the Purple hour last time and she passed that information on to a friend um, who needed to hear it, I guess. And it was actually a really interesting situation. I was at a four-year-old's birthday party and this really nice lady came up to me and said, I feel like I already know you. And I didn't know who she was. And I said, oh. And I I do photography for uh, friends and family in, in the city I'm in and blog and so I just assumed she knew me from that because that was kind of the circle of people we were with and I was like oh from the blog and she goes no from the bubble hour and I'm sitting with you know my husband, my business partners, uh, parents, um, a bunch of people I didn't know and their children Um, and we were kind of standing away um, and people kind of backed up obviously um, once it became obvious that the situation was about and she was very open and candid about her what she was going through and and I was definitely caught off guard, um, and it was a little scary, to be honest. It was really, it was kind of scary, but it ended up being, for me, a really amazing moment because it became a moment that, you know, then my husband and I could talk about and kind of get into, you know, what how recovery kind of works with service and talking about it and how he thought it was really cool that I could help this person that was obviously kind of in a hard spot. And so it ended up being a really positive moment, but it was definitely kind of like, whoa, okay, that's out there now at this four-year-old birthday (laughs) party, but okay. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, once it's out there, like, the sky didn't fall. You know, nobody thought I was crazy or anything. You know, it's a lot of these stories that I build up in my own crazy head about, you know, people caring about me and my recovery and what I'm going through. They do, but they're also people care about their own stuff. They're not off talking about me, hopefully. So, um, So I think it was a good thing in the end. But, yeah, it was definitely a big step forward for me.
1: Uh, Good for you. Amanda, you always say that you're super open about your recovery, but do you remember what it was like the first time you told someone that didn't know about your alcoholism that you were in recovery? Can you think back to that? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember it vividly. Um, Well, going – well, I know we were going to talk about this too, but going back to work, I – I well everyone knows I was arrested and I just thought you know it was like you know on the 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 cover of the Boston Globe it wasn't you know I just but I saw I felt that everyone knew which was part of the reason why I was like well everyone knows I might as well just you know hit it head on and I guess that's just my approach to life anyways um mm-hmm. but so there was that in the fact that you know there we have things at my work like you know we it, it's just it's a drinking culture it's the industry is um you know there's a lot of drinking and there's you know we have events where there's a lot of drinking and i was i felt that um and i was the ringleader of all of that for you know before i got sober so i felt that i needed to protect myself at work someone had suggested to me that i needed to put some walls up around that and um so I just, um, I, I, I don't know why, but I just walked in there and, you know, I was open about it. But I wasn't open to everyone. I had discreet conversations. And um, I actually supervised a group of people. And I called a meeting with them and, and said, you know, I just want you all to know why I've been out for five weeks. Um, I don't know what rumors have been said about me um, or, you know, what you know about what's been going on, but, you know, I went away for to treatment and to get sober. And, and I had, it was, I don't know, it was like seven people. I didn't know how they were going to react, and I was a little terrified, but I, I guess I'm also the type of person, I, I tend to jump, if you know, when I'm afraid. And it was amazing. they were um, completely supportive. they were some of the, you know a lot of them said they had no idea what was going on, which actually is something um, I think an important thing is a lot of the fears that we have or a lot of the judgment that we have we cast upon ourselves. and we think that people are judging us, but it's really I think it's us who are judging ourselves. that's just you know that that's something I've I've seen again and again. Um because when I shared with them they were like, Oh my God, I'm so proud of you, that's amazing. And um, you know, I get you know, I'm really happy for you. Let us know what we can do to help. And um it just it really blew me away, you know, because I felt that oh, that that was that's the other thing I was gonna say. I thought everyone knew what was going on and everyone was talking about me and people didn't really know. <laughs> And um, part of the reason why they didn't know, there was one person in particular that I told, because I went around, the people that I was close to in the office, I had one-on-one conversations with them and, you know, just told them what was going on, and I was surprised at how few people knew. And I kind of questioned one of them, and they're like, well, you know what, you know, you know cuz he's kind of the type of person who probably would share with people or I would have expected him to and he said hey it could happen to any one of us and i'm not mm-hmm. going to judge you and i was blown away by that you know you know i was like wow and you know i didn't i never thought about it that way um and i think you know you know i, I mean he was very honest and and just said you know anyone could have that is you know, could have that happen to them. They anyone could become an alcoholic, so I'm not gonna judge you. And um I just I just found that was like a revelation. I'm like, oh that's really cool. You know, so I don't need to be ashamed. And you know, I'm sure there were people that I told that maybe thought, Oh wow, she's off a rocker um or you know, or may have judged me but um I've never felt that judgment from people so to me it was very liberating and it's still I mean there was times where I I told people outside of my comfort zone you know complete strangers um, I talked about this when I um, I was telling someone when um, we Shining Strong had a screening of the anonymous people last September for recovery month and one of the things that we did is we posted flyers all over the place and you don't just go and stick it on a, on a, a bulletin board You you should go and ask the manager if you can post it. And the first, even though it had been year, I don't know what I was, uh, three years sober, and I was going into a place, speaking to a manager of a business of that I didn't know in any way, shape, or form, and asking to post uh, this flyer about a movie about recovery, and he asked me about it. He was like, you know, so what's this all about? And I explained what it was about, and we had this whole conversation. And he was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, you can definitely post that um but i had a huge fear walking in that door and it was it actually took me by surprise that even as open as i've been you know facing someone who i didn't know at all who had you know uh, didn't have didn't know that you know i was a good worker or whatever um it was it was really scary doing it, so i you know, as open as I am, I never judge anyone for being you know being hesitant to share with people because it is it can be very intimidating um but i I have found that the response has been amazing.
1: It's so great to hear you say that, Amanda, because i it is it is intimidating to tell people uh, this is Jean, I have told you know one on one I've told people in my life that I trust or that I think either need to know or would be interested to know but as far as just you know I don't know tweeting about it or putting it on my regular Facebook profile or something I just you know I just I think maybe the alcoholic in me still likes to control everything and likes to control what other people think and do especially when it comes to their opinion of me and I, I feel like as we heal from that we get more brave about understanding that just tell your truth. You know, people are going to think what they're going to think or or not. And And now that you say that, it does come back to me that I have never had anyone be negative about it. I haven't experienced a whole lot of gossip about it. I would say the only time that it's uncomfortable is if I get a sense that the person I'm talking to is really uncomfortable about their own drinking. And mm-hmm. usually if I sense that, mm-hmm. then I just kind of, You know, I don't push it. I give them their space and I feel like, hey, you know what, at least now they know if they ever want to talk about it, they can. But it's not like I'm going to hone in and evangelize sobriety on this person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like you just can see it. You can see the walls go up and you think, okay, you know what, this is not about me. You can just see when people are feeling that about themselves. So um, that would be the only time that I've really had it be kind of uncomfortable. But for the most part, the people that I have told just, You know, see it as an awesome thing, and they haven't built it up in their mind to be this enormous, you know, thing that I have created it to be in my mind. So, you're right. It, 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 when the time is right, I guess we know when the time is right to let people know. But how about you, Kristen? You quit your drinking very quietly. Have you um, had any discussions where you've told someone about your journey?
3: Yeah, um, the very first person that I told was my sister, um, my youngest sister, who has substance abuse issues of her own and um, has been through quite a lot in her young life. And um, the very first thing that she's, you know, I was shortly after, like a week after, and I just, we were talking about something totally unrelated, and I just said, oh, and I quit drinking. (laughs) And she said, I am (laughs) so very glad to hear that. And, you know, it's, You know, it's always kind of been, like, the unacknowledged thing where I would joke in the family, like, oh, yeah, everybody knows I like to drink wine, ha, 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 you know. And, like, I think there have been a couple of key people close to me who kind of raised an eyebrow and had some private concerns. I have a very kind of introverted family where, you know, people are worried about you. They don't necessarily say anything, and you're left to wonder what they're thinking. Um, And that's kind of like the pathology of, you know, my family growing up is that there's like kind of high tension, but nobody says anything. Um, And I've always been, even though I'm an introvert, I've always been one of the more outspoken ones in my family. Um, And so I've, you know, I've kind of treaded lightly, um, but I've told just about everyone you know, who's really close to me, well, everyone who's really close to me. And I have, like, a fairly small circle of people who are really close to me, mostly family and a couple friends. And, you know, and it's always been, like, and it's never been, like, an announcement, hey, everyone, you know. Um, It's just been here and there, like, individual, you know, and that's how I operate that is just, you know, talking to a couple people at a time or one person at a time. And, you know, I don't think with anyone I haven't, you know, like, gone into – you know, I'm an alcoholic and I quit drinking, you know, I haven't gone into like, I just kind of more of a, I, you know, I quit drinking and I feel so much better now. And, you know, I kind of, you know, don't feel the need to, you know, hash out the details of exactly why and exactly, you know, the degree and severity of the problem and the issue. And I think part of it is that I didn't really I didn't want to put myself in a situation where I was getting into an argument about whether or not I was an alcoholic because I could sort of see that happening. And it did a little bit with one of my close friends, who herself is a problem drinker. And she, you know, sort of, you know, she took the news the first couple times, you know, that we were together, like, oh, that's great, I bet you feel so much better, that's wonderful. You know, and then by the third or fourth time we hung out and I'm still not drinking, she's like, you know, you don't really think you're an alcoholic, do you? And I'm like, well, oh, yeah, kind of. You're not an alcoholic. You know, and so we ha- kind of had the, And I just had to say, you know, well, actually, you know, you kind of have to define it for yourself. And, you know, you go right ahead and, you know, at no judgment, you know, like have another beer. I don't, you know, nothing to do with you. It just has to do with me. And I think, you know, that's kind of the way I've handled it. You know, like I said, I haven't had like a big, you know, a big uh, announcement. One person that I have left to tell that I really want to tell, and it's kind of needs to be done soon. I mentioned him in, in the other, you know, part one, um, is my grandfather. He's 91 and he's been, um, in recovery for most of his life. It has to have been like over 50, about 50 years now. Um, and he's the person that I really, really want to tell. Like we're not close. He lives on the East coast. Um, and he kind of was separated from the family for a long time. But um, I kind of have like a psychic connection with him, or just I feel like because some of the things that he said has helped me, um, I kind of need to tell him, you know, sooner than later since he is 91 years old. And it's something that I'm actually looking forward to because I know that he'll be really proud of me. But at the same time, I just, it's like you can't unpush the button, you know, like you can't unsay it. And so I just, I'm a little bit hesitant still for that same reason. I think that you, know, you mentioned, it's like the controlling other people. like, you know, I don't, I, I'm so, I still have a little bit of a hang up of, you know, oh, she's an alcoholic or she's in recovery, you know, or she doesn't, you know, I still have a little bit of that desire to like have people think there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just fine. You know? Um, but I'm working through that, and I you know recognize that in myself, and I see that as like a point where I can you know still grow and you know but then I think you I think you need to
1: pick up the phone and phone him he's ninety one years old yeah <laughs> yeah, great <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> do it now sure. we'll
3: we'll we'll do wait. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely it's on i it's like there's it's, it's coming very soon, like within the next few days i'm gonna it's on my list, oh that's sure. great. Okay. Catherine,
1: how about you? Do you have anything to add to this?
2: Yeah, well I do. I'm 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 thinking about the first time that I actually said the A word and mm-hmm. identified as an alcoholic, um, since we're talking about first. I mean, you know, I've been from the very beginning very open about the fact that I stopped drinking. Um and then, you know, one of the things when I was drinking was that I, I really had this problem with boundaries where I either had too many and wasn't connecting with anybody, or I had none, and I was kind of all over the place. So this, you know, for me, it's a helpful exercise in, you know, how much do people really need to know. Um, I have zero problem. If somebody were to say, are you in recovery or are you an alcoholic, I would answer truthfully. I've had situations where, you know, somebody that I know might say, oh, that's, that's really great, and then start sharing that they're worried about their drinking and, you know, then I'll open up. But I've, I've had two situations actually where people close to me actually broke my anonymity to people who, like, kind of who cares that who they told, but it was just more of, like, their breach of trust because it's my health and wellness and it's my business if I want to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I have a fairly high-profile job. I do a lot of media and press and you know, public speaking, you know, I, I don't have our pic, my picture on our website, but also that gives me some freedom to share about things that are pretty personal. And then, you know, it's that's just, that's just the choice that I've made. But, you know, if somebody were to say, are you, I would say yes. But I want to just mention sort of the since we're talking about first, you know, saying I'm an alcoholic. I have to say that I... I knew that it was true, but I wasn't comfortable saying it for probably the first few months. Um, And I remember my now husband saying, well, you know, I don't know if that's what you are. And I was like, look, here's the bottom line. It's not working for me. So whatever this is, (laughs) it's not working. I have to stop. Um, And that was kind of my line in my head for a few months until I could get comfortable, and the more I hung out with people in recovery, and the more I learned about the disease of alcoholism, the more I realized how much I identified with that, um, and got really comfortable with saying it, and and I I do, one thing that I really appreciate about the anonymous people is the uh, power in language I mean when we're with other people In recovery saying I'm an alcoholic It's helpful because It reminds me that you know I I have to work this every day You know this recovery thing But I I like The notion of in the public Domain with people who are not In our recovery community We can say I'm a person in long Term recovery um, I think words matter and And saying that Is not uh, somehow softening what's really going on for me, but it's not, then I'm not, I don't have some big label around my neck. Um, So that's one thing that I really liked about
1: the movie. Um, Just for our listeners who aren't familiar, The Anonymous People is a documentary, it's available on Netflix. And um, it's a fantastic documentary that talks about kind of a new recovery advocacy movement, highly recommended. And that's, that's the movie that Catherine was just referencing. And then when we talk about recovery, Catherine, um, you know what I love about just mentioning about language and, and using the word recovery when we're talking to people sort of outside of recovery that aren't familiar sort of outside of of support group meetings that aren't familiar with the vernacular that gets used in those rooms, what I've really come to realize, and this shocks me, is the similarities that there are between all different types of addictions. Like I just watched a movie called, I think it's called Thanks for Sharing, and it's about uh, people that are in 12-step recovery for sex addiction. Which I would not have thought that I had anything in common with, but when you look at the process of recovery, the, the healing process is very similar, the support process is very similar, and, and the 12-step process, of course, is, is used for,, you know, many types of, of addiction. So when we talk about being in recovery, even though we might be talking to someone who is dealing with um, eating behaviors or gambling addiction or, you know, acts. Addiction, uh, the recovery process is very similar, and so then when we start talking that language, we start to see those similarities and and realize that we have a lot in common as humans mm-hmm. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So and and I'm just thinking too that speaking of when we're talking about our own recovery, you know, one experiences the first time that someone comes to us. For direction or advice about their own drinking, and Megan, you—I think you had a recent experience with this. Can you tell us about that?
3: Um, yeah, no. So very recently, um, it's been—it's been really interesting. You know, when it rains, it pours. I've always kind of felt like a baby in recovery, kind of a new kid. Um, and in the last probably two months or so, I've had multiple people come to me and ask for advice, which just is so funny um, because it makes me feel like a grown-up all of a sudden, like, oh, (laughs) you're asking me for advice? You want what I have? Because I'm so used to being on the opposite side of that and asking others for their advice. Um, And so really recently I was asked to be a sponsor um, in a program, in a 12-step program, and that was really – really amazing um, just to even be asked (laughs) um, for me and to kind of look at the process through sharing what I've learned. um, It kind of helps you to reflect on where you've been in your own journey, and it really does seem to help me Mm -hmm. um, as much as hopefully it would help someone else that you're giving advice to. Um, And I I mentioned that situation earlier at that party, um, and that was a really interesting situation as well where someone really seems to want advice and and one of the things that i try to shy away from is giving advice in general because what works for me might not necessarily work for another person and right. and i i don't want to be you know this person for alcoholics here's what you need to do because god knows i've made so many mistakes um and you know what i was doing when i was kind of on the other side of that was like If someone would say, you know, this worked for me, I would try it. So for whatever reason, I was just in a place where I said, obviously what I'm doing is not working. I will try what you (laughs) did. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And so I try to carry that forward when I'm asked to share advice um, and just share what worked for me and make it very clear, you know, not saying this is what everybody does. I'm not saying this is the way to do it. But I'm saying, you know, these little things, have helped me along the way, and maybe by trying some of them, it could help you and you can make your own combination of things that can help you on your journey.
1: This is Jean. Megan, I'm glad you explained it that way because I think that's such an important point. If you listen to this show, we, none of us give advice. We are not. We are, we're not qualified to give advice. We're not um, psychotherapists. We're not doctors. But all of us are here to tell our stories. And the healing power in telling stories and doing what you just said, well, this is what worked for me, that gives a chance to, you know, you can tell your truth that way, and it stops short of saying, you need to do blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. because we don't really have the power to do that. But to be able to say, well, this is what worked for me, this is what I learned along the way, it really opens the door for that really powerful experience of me too, right? There's so much Mm -hmm. healing when we realize that we're not alone. Other people are talking about similar experiences that we've had and that uh, even though a lot of us, uh, when we're lost in our addiction, feel like we uh, run the universe and no one could ever understand us, Really opens our minds and our hearts to the fact that oh my gosh, I think I've been wrong about everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is just a—it's really powerful. So I, I think uh, this is something I really want to portray to listeners because it—it it was an important lesson to me. I because I like to tell people what to do. I like being right, and I also quite like being in charge. And you may not know this, but I single-handedly raise the sun every morning. I'm in charge mm-hmm. of my own head. It's amazing. <laughs> so when it was actually a real eye-opener to me to learn, hey, we're not here to give advice. We're, recovery is about sharing your story, and then, as Amanda says, shut up and listen, and listen to other people's stories and hear what they have to say because we all teach each other so much all the time. It's really, It's really actually, to me, the coolest thing. I think my blood pressure... Lowered when I realized that hey, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't, I don't have to be in charge. Like we, this is a collective healing is a collective, beautiful shared experience. That's the most amazing power of all. Well, second most maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. This this is Amanda, and um, I I um, I love what you just said, Jean, and I love Megan what you were talking about about sponsoring someone. And how you share your experience and say, you know, this is what worked for me. Um, because, uh, you know, the, the, and how it helps you. Because I know that when I'm helping other people, even just like on the show sometimes, sometimes you're talking out like the own thing, the, you know, the own thing, the things that are going on with you. And if you're, you know, sharing something and you know about how you handled the situation in the, past, in the past, for example, and then you have something going on in your life today that you didn't handle the same way, and it's kind of been a mess. It's you know, helping other people is a good way of reminding yourself, like, oh, wait a minute, you know, these are some of the basics. Because as you, you know, you spend more time in sobriety, and you know, you're, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're not. Uh, you know, going to as many meetings or something like that or not hearing as many people share, sometimes, you know, I know for me, like sometimes I'll like, not I guess not off the beam, you know, but I I won't be, you know, my serenity isn't as on center. And so when I'm sharing with someone and trying to help someone else, not only do I hopefully help them, but I'm helping myself because it it kind of makes me say oh wait you know cuz they say when you you know when you pointing a finger at someone there's you know three fingers pointing back at you so you know when you're you're giving advice you know it's like oh wait i got to i got to take a deep look inside at me if i'm and you know and when i say giving advice i'm using that term loosely like you know offering offering experience to someone um you know you got to make sure that you're practicing you know those tools that worked for you in the past so i think that's that's why they recommend service so much we did a whole show on it it's it's um there's so much that you can get out of service um so anyways i just thought i'd jump that throw that in there and um (laughs) You now moving on to another topic, Catherine. I know that you do a lot of traveling for work, and that alcohol played a big role for you because you've you've had to attend a lot of social gatherings for your work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What stands out in your mind about the first time you were in a situation without drinking, um, and what have you done over time that made it easier?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm actually all packed up to leave uh, first thing tomorrow morning for a week long trip. Um, And I actually, probably about a week or two weeks after I got sober, I went on a seven-week traveling jag where I was home on weekends, but I was traveling every week. And um, I can remember hiding out in my hotel room with, like, a huge bag of M&M's, and I had... I I had online support, and I was reading uh, Drinking a Love Story by Caroline Knapp, and I I think that was the first one, but I, I had other kind of recovery memoirs and literature and was just learning that way. So, But I don't know if this was the first event, but in one of those early trips, I can remember a guy who was kind of half in the bag at an event, you know, kind of giving me a hard time. Like I say, I'm very open. I'll, you know, I don't drink, and this guy, he he was he was really pressuring me, and was like, oh, but you know, you're Irish, and you really should drink, and and I was getting a little bit irritated until all of a sudden I had this flash where I was like, you know what? It's actually not him. It's it's nothing that this guy is doing, is a problem. If there's a problem, it's me. And that's a little bit of a tough stance to take at first until you realize or I realized that, you know, it applied to my travel. It applied to the first time I went out to dinner with my husband um, and where normally I would have been drinking wine. you know, It applied to all kinds of first of social events that it was only going to be, quote, unquote, hard if I made it hard or if I decided it was going to be hard. Um, it was only going to be pressure to drink if I felt the pressure and so I just have sort of made it my kind of personal mantra since then to if I start feeling sorry for myself or feeling resentful about people, what they're saying or doing or any of that, it's it's like it's time for me to change my thinking um, and then the only other thing I would add would be that I realized that I don't um, – Kristen said in the beginning of – no, sorry, it was Megan said in the beginning about learning how to be perfect um, growing up. And that's, that's something that I'm still really trying to work through in, in recovery. And at these work events in particular, you know, I would really feel the pressure to, like, stay late and, you know, kind of be the butterfly and going around the room and working the room and all that. And now I I go back to the hotel room early. And there's been twice since then that, that my boss has kind of said, oh, you know, it's too bad you left early. And normally I would feel really bad about that. But then I'm like, you know what? First of all, I've I've been in this career for almost 20 years. Like, I've closed enough of these events, okay? And then... Second of all, I, I look back and I'm, I, I test my thinking about what's real. And it's like, I left that event at 1030 or 11 o'clock at night. Like, was the business getting any better after that? I just, mm. I, I question <laughs> that reality. Okay. So,
0: Good question.
2: so and, and, you know, and so it's sort of like my perfectionism of like, oh, I have to be there. Now, does he think that I'm a failure? Like that? that doesn't really follow. That's not him. That's me. And this idea of like, oh, I I have to go to so-and-so's birthday party, or I have to go to such and such an event, particularly in early sobriety. Like I realize it's all about my thinking. Like, no, I don't. I didn't go to Easter dinner. I got sober on like a Tuesday and Easter Sunday was that Sunday. And like, guess who said she wasn't going to be with the family that day i didn't i couldn't deal with it and i was like see you later i'm i'm not going make up whatever excuse you want to but i'm not going and that was
1: something very new for me so that's what i've got did that feel empowering yeah to to be able to say no for yourself to take care of yourself yeah i can change my thinking Yeah. yeah
2: it's not about it's not about them
1: and this is Jean, I, As you're talking about those late night drinking events for work, I, I work in a male dominated industry, and and I always found I had to be so careful because, you know, the the men would all go for drinks, and you don't want to be left out of that. You want to be part of the conversation. You want to be part of the bonding that happens over it. But you're right; it's not business. Um, mm. And and I think it's easy for people to feel like they, they're they going to miss out on something if they're not part of that. But I think when I look back and think, you know, I was so uptight because I did not want to ever slur my words or appear drunk or anything. If I was there in that drinking situation with them when I was drinking, I would always leave so that I could go and drink alone in my hotel room because I didn't want mm-hmm. to get sloppy in front of them. I didn't want to undermine my own credibility And you know what? It was just, it became a management problem. And at the end of the day, either I had earned their trust through the business that was done that day or not, right? Just like you said, Mm -hmm. things didn't get better after 10.30 at night. So such an important point. And I think it's one that people really struggle with. In fact, I would say like at least half of the letters that I get through my blog in the comments are people talking about how they're expected to drink at work or drinking as part of their work environment, and they have to redefine who they are in that environment. But it is all about taking mm-hmm. your power back. It really is. That's mm-hmm. what I heard you say there, and that's great. So let's talk about fun instead of work. Um, Kristen, you went to your first wedding sober, right? Yes, Recently? I did. <laughs> let's hear yeah. about that. Uh,
3: we, last Saturday, um, it was it was really interesting. Um, it was kind of an it wasn't like a typical wedding experience because my husband was the best man, so I had to kind of you know go it alone like sort of you know almost like a stag uh, type of situation because he was up at the head table and I was relegated to. The, I knew a bunch of people there, but for whatever reason, I was kind of at like the leftover table where there was only like a few of us and. um one of the, the only, like, couple that was, like, right next to me, they spent, like, the whole time kind of bickering. And so it was just kind of, like, an interesting, like, people study because I was almost sort of, like, alone among, you know, 200 people at the beginning. You know, then once everything broke out and the meal was over with and then it was just, like, back to normal mingling and I could hang out with my husband and stuff. But the early part, you know, like, before the dinner and during dinner, it was it was really, it was a little bit awkward, but... You know, the, the, I was sitting, you know, one of the, the female half of the couple who was bickering, she, you know, she's a total normie, like total. Like, oh, let me go up to the bar and get you a glass of wine. I was like, no, thanks. I'm, I think I'm good with seltzer. She's like, oh, really? You know, it, just, it turned into kind of like the conversation that I didn't want to have. But then um, I think just like um, what was mentioned about, like, owning it, I think I kind of like let that in, you know, I was feeling a little bit annoyed because I was giving, you know, with her, for so, like sort of pressing it a little bit, but then I was thinking to myself, well, you know, I didn't just come out and say, you know, I'm not drinking tonight or I'm, you know, I don't drink anymore. I was like sort of, you know, taken as like, I should have expected it, but I sort of wasn't expecting it from her anyway. I figured it would be fine because I knew that she wasn't a big drinker. Um, But, you know, like, here I am feeling slightly annoyed with this woman for, like, sort of trusting me on why I'm like, mom, it's a wedding, well, you know, my husband's the best man, I should be, you know, I'm going to be the designated driver, and I'm just, like, kind of giving these, like, you know, like not real concrete answers, but then feeling myself getting a little bit annoyed with her when, you know, I needed to own that, you know, I needed to just give a more clear answer. I quit drinking. And it kind of, like, came up, like, through the course of the evening where I just, you know, yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really not drinking anymore. And then it was, it was fine. Um, But, you know, it just, it definitely was, it was, it was an interesting experience um, because it was a little bit odd. I wasn't in there mingling with everyone, you know, like the way you would, if you were just going with your husband to a wedding. But I mean, I, I woke up the next morning, no hangover. I was able to drive home. It was only 10 minutes away, but I was able to drive home just fine. There wasn't any of that, you know, am I okay to Mm -hmm. drive? I don't think I'm okay to drive. It's only 10 minutes away. I'll take the back roads. You know, I mean, it was Mm -hmm. none of that. I was like the secure, happy to go home. My contacts were burning my eyeballs. I just wanted to take them off, go to bed. And, you know, I mean, I find that more and more like with social situations. I enjoy being there. I, you know, make the most of the situation while I'm there. But it's not about only that moment and having another drink and having, you know, how can I sneak this one in without anyone noticing, oh, that bottle of wine is almost all the way gone. Or, you know, it's the, a the wedding when the bar closes down when everyone is supposed to be seated. And, oh, that, you know, that cheap Zinfandel that they throw on the table, that's almost all the way gone, you know. Like, none of that, none of that was on my mind. It was just, you know, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to support, you know, my husband and his best friend. And, you know, I'm looking forward to going home and being with my children. And my weekend wasn't ruined because then, you know, Mm -hmm. on Sunday morning I was able to wake up and make pancakes for my children, you know, and, and enjoy a Sunday. I mean, it used to be a wedding. A wedding would blow the entire weekend because on Sunday you're, you know, like absolutely good for nothing and even on Monday, sometimes still feeling terrible. If it was really that much of a, you know, <laughs> that much of a fun wedding. <laughs> so I mean, I found it, I are not fun, and you know, depending on how you look at it. But you know, I I, I found it to be like, you know, just another kind of notch in the belt. You know, another experience to have. But I didn't. I don't think I really built it up in my mind as like I'm going to my first silver wedding. This is going to be this like big thing that I can triumph over. Just it was another thing, you know, and it was fine. And the next morning I was really grateful and really appreciative. And, you know, the only really thing, you know, time that I spent thinking about drinking was mostly, you know, just being grateful that I wasn't drinking. So, you know, I I think it's all, you know, the frame of mind that you're in at the time too. And, I mean, sometimes we have some control over that and sometimes not. But, you know, I just happened to go into it, you know, feeling, Pretty positive, and despite having a couple of challenging moments, it was, it was, it was nice. Awesome. Well, we're yeah. almost at the end
1: of our hour. In fact, we've gone oh, just about an hour, and we haven't talked about the big topic yet. And I think we better take a few minutes and discuss this because we know that that <laughs> our listeners have been asking us <laughs> <laughs> to talk about sex, and so we thought, well, you know what? This is a great time to address it because. Uh, sober first, uh, we all kind of had to face this at some point. So I just started this down, you know, reflecting on the topic, that as addicts we're drawn to isolating and pulling away from others, and one of the challenges and wonders of recovery is that we learn to reconnect with others. Intimacy, whether emotional or physical, can be a source of strength and joy for some and a frightening experience for others. So I think we could do a whole episode possibly several on this topic Um, and i i do believe we will be planning to do that in the future but for now let's just talk about our initial responses to the issue of intimacy and i i'll start by telling you that for me uh things were okay before so i thought well if things were good before i quit drinking my gosh uh, things are going to be great after I quit drinking. I'm going lose energy at the end of the day, and I'm going to be just so much better at everything that I do, including this private time with my husband. And and so I sort of expected that I was, you know, just going to like do cartwheels into the bedroom at the end of the day. <laughs> and honestly, I think the initially getting through a day without alcohol was so exhausting and emotionally draining that I didn't have that experience for a long time and um, well not that I do cartwheels now but I think I was a little bit let down and I what I've learned since then is that that's the expectation resentment cycle that we set for ourselves and others as part of our addiction is that we build things mm-hmm. up and then we're upset when they don't turn out the way we thought and then we need some you know we, we turn to our comfort as alcohol and blah 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 but um, over time uh, things did get better as I sort of worked through some of my junk in recovery and learned to be a little bit more open and less controlling and all of those things. And things did get better in time. But for me, initially, they did not, and that was a shock. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Catherine, what about you? What are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, you know, it is pretty well documented that um, – Many women with addiction issues come from a trauma background. And, you know, that can mean all kinds of things, but um, there are many women who have sexual abuse and other traumas in that family um, in their background. So I'm going to kind of take one for the team and just talk a little bit about um, my story with that because one of the things that we learn in recovery and and we alluded to earlier in this show was that, you know, sharing our experiences with other people keeps us sober and also can help other people and inspire other people with hope. Um, and so that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from with this, but I was sexually abused for many years as a child and, um, then about a week before my 19th birthday, I, I went to college, and I was totally unprepared for it. Um, I experienced acquaintance rapes um, with somebody who lived in my dorm, and that was actually my first time. So, like, how about that for a little TMI? But, um But also I'll I'll mention one detail about the childhood abuse was that it was an older female neighbor. And the reason I mention that is because when I had about eight or nine months sober, a woman who probably had about half that time shared her story with me and it had, you know, childhood abuse, blah, blah, blah. And she was really, really ashamed of the fact that it was, a female that had abused her and I told her that I had the same detail and she nearly fell off the chair. Like she couldn't, she had never heard of that before. She didn't know, um, she had never heard of anybody who had that experience. So like it, that was a real, um, profound moment for me when I realized that like my story could make somebody feel less alone and feel okay. Mm. Um, So that's why I kind of mentioned that detail. So my I went in came into my adulthood obviously with all sort of fraught all kinds of fraught issues and you know I think sometimes we hear that people who come from an abuse background are sort of really nervous or afraid of sex or you know, there's kind of that whole piece or there's more how I have figured out that I was, which was that I used sex for validation um, that I had so little self-regard. Um, I really just didn't feel like I had any value. So like having sex or making myself available that way or kind of the whole the whole thing, right? I It was my way of kind of seeking validation and if I didn't get it, it could be like really devastating. And so I had all of these like self-esteem, Issues tied up with it. Now, I will say that um, I've been working on these issues since 2006 um, with a trauma specialist. Um, I have other. I've got all kinds of big T and little T traumas. It's, it's complex PTSD. It's an exciting time in my head, um, but <laughs> I have. Been, I've been working on these for for a long time. I didn't get sober until 2012. So, um, but. You know, the reason I mention this is because, you know, take heart. If there's anybody who's listening to this, and, I, you know, certainly I'm not an alcoholic because I was abused. I was an alcoholic just because I am. But I certainly drank over it and, you know, drank to kind of give myself a, a better feeling of self-worth. And I've talked about all that stuff before on the show. Um, so clearing the fog of alcohol and not numbing all of that just like any other past experience, you know, or any emotions or problems, as they come up, it doesn't feel great. So that's true. But I can remember I don't know, some let me see, I have like two and a half years sober now, so maybe this was maybe this was a About a a year ago, I was in therapy and we were doing um, some trauma treatment that's called EMDR, and some of these emotions came up for me, and I sat there and I thought in my head, like, I can't take this. I can't take how this feels. And all of a sudden, this sober voice, which had been gaining, you know, strength and traction in my head, said, yes, you can. You are doing it. You you got sober. You didn't think you could do that, and you're doing that. And this voice, like this really, uh, my highest self, I guess, (laughs) just started talking Mm -hmm. to me and saying, yes, you can do that. And that, since then, has really cleared up in a a way that feels very, um, I don't know, I don't want to say final, but it feels like that chapter has kind of closed for me. Um, And that never, ever would have happened if I were still drinking. You know? Um, yeah. So, so clearing the decks is really important. And now, and and I'm in a fabulous relationship now, and I got married when I was about a year and a half sober, and I had a sober wedding. I was sober. It was awesome. Um, you know, so, and if nothing else, I mean, you can actually communicate with your partner when you're sober. Yeah. Like, what a concept, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these things that I hadn't really learned. So, I don't know. I just want to say to anybody listening, you know, take heart and it's it's going to be okay. It's it's over now, and you know, once we're sober, like we can do anything. We can get better. It's awesome,
1: Catherine. Thank you Absolutely. for sharing that. That's very powerful, and I I think it speaks to the message too that alcohol does help us numb the bad crap to a yeah. point, but it also numbs the good stuff, right? and yeah. and when we start healing and stop using that tool we actually are able to feel the good things again physically and emotionally and just in our life right and so how do you how do you feel that change now do you do you find that the the good is more good that that you're really experiencing all of it the good
2: is way more good <laughs> um i think i can I think there's room for me to open up to joy just to be honest with you um you know i i think what i've learned with trauma is that like you kind of just totally shut down i mean so i've got these layers and layers of stuff that i'm kind of still coming up through um so i think that now I actually laugh. I laugh a lot more than I ever did, but I think there's room for me to do more with joy in general um, but i'm i'm still I'm still taking myself a little bit seriously <laughs> so, and I am working on this
0: <laughs> so um. Go ahead. I was. This is Amanda. I don't. Um, I did. did um, I can share on this as well if if you want to. Just a, another perspective because uh, Catherine, you uh, made me think of something. Um, for me, uh, before uh, I got sober, I thought. Or well, you know, I thought. Uh, you know, I, I I enjoyed sex. I love sex or whatever. And. Um, And what it was, you know, I was always like a little bit of a wild child, party girl or whatever, And but it really, um, for me, it was about validation, and that comes Mm -hmm. from, um, you know, a different type of trauma. It comes, you know, it's a lot to do with codependency, um, with, you know, feeling, you know, I felt that... that uh sex validated me with my partner I felt that if um my partner didn't didn't want to have sex with me or something that 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 they didn't love me you know I equated exactly. sex with love um yeah. and it's um and I just but I you know but it, it, you know in my in the front of my brain that I I felt that oh you know I I just really enjoy sex um but I got sober and I was alone and so I had to go through the experience of meeting someone that <laughs> I, I, you know, wanted to have sex with, and then and then actually having sex. And um, it was very different for me because you know when you're drinking, or for me when I was drinking, it was you know easy to let that guard down. And it you know mm-hmm. it, you know you have a couple couple you know, hopefully a couple of dates and you know then maybe something happens you know there's a spark and something happens and you know you're half you know you're half in the bag so you don't even really care what you're doing or whatever and you know i have to say my choices weren't always that great you know i mm-hmm. didn't always make the best decisions um but you know here it was you know you know how do you go about having sex when you're sober and you're single and you know like finding someone and you know because now now, oh wait a minute. I care about myself. You know, that was a big difference for me. I really actually cared about myself. I cared about my morality and um it was a very different experience for me. And it was scary. I was I was really nervous. I have to say it was like the first time, you know. Um it 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 it, it was a brand new experience for me. Um I was nervous like a little kid and um you know and i just kind of went with it which is sometimes what i do and when i when i'm afraid i just take a leap of faith and you know you know know that i or hope that everything's going to be okay and um and it was and it was something that was it was very it was it was wonderful and it was very different um it to me it 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 no longer was about validating me, it was about um, inti- inti- intimacy with another person, and that's, you know, that's how I feel about it today. Um, it's, I don't, um, the nice thing is I don't make, you know, I don't think I make, you know, I don't just take a leap of faith. I, you know, it's a little bit more thoughtful. I care about, you know, what I'm doing, you know, who I'm with. You know, to me, it, it's a meaningful. It's intimacy. It's, it's a meaningful experience. Um, and it 's something that I do enjoy- and I am also comfortable i didn't i wasn't sure that I would be comfortable um being intimate with someone mm-hmm.
3: um
0: because you know it I had always been you know it's like you know wake up in the morning and you know even wondering if it had happened the night before, and you know it 's a completely different experience now, and so um i you know just being perfectly blunt and pretending that i'm not being recorded enough, On a show right now I really enjoy
1: it (laughs) Thank you Amanda That's very encouraging For a lot of listeners I'm positive of that uh, Because I think that is a huge fear for people And I think alcohol is a huge Mm -hmm. crutch For people that are seeking closeness In relationships And it's really important to know That that there's something better There's a better way Believe it or not (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kristen how about you You're a busy mom with little kids yeah,
3: <laughs> I probably have the most boring story of all to tell about, you know, on um, this topic. Um, I think I, you know, I've always been, like, a fairly cautious person, um, despite being an alcoholic, um, and I've had, you know, pretty limited numbers of partners in my life, and I've been with my husband for, like, almost 20 years now, like, 18 years, I think, we're 20. Um, and, you know, having having kids and so many of them, you know, I had um, I had twins and then just a couple of years previous to that, I had my first child, so I had, you know, three kids and barely two years. Um, and I think, um, I don't know, I think it's just a lot better, but it doesn't happen that often <laughs> because of the nature <laughs> of my life right now. Um, yeah. I think, you know, when when we do have the opportunity, you know, I'm not... Nervous or anything. I mean, I've been with him for, you know, a long, long time. So it's kind of just like, you know, comfort and familiarity and, you know, just kind of taking advantage of the opportunity, you know, the, when it arises. Um, but I think it's, you know, just coming at it from, you know, a sober, you know, frame of mind, it's, it's so much better. I mean, like, so much more enjoyable. I'm there, I'm present um I can, you know, go through all of the emotions of intimacy and of the whole act, you know, being there and being with it and not just, you know, it's it's a whole different experience for me. And I've I've actually never really I mean, like you you know, you go out at night, you have a bunch of drinks or whatever and then you are intimate with your partner and, you know, it's it's just I've always preferred sober sex, even when I was drinking, even though it didn't happen hardly ever, the few times that it did, it's just, wow, you know, I actually felt that. It's better, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think for, for me it's just more of a, you know, I don't have the experience of, of new partners or, you know, trying to establish intimacy with someone new, um, but it's definitely, you know, it's definitely improved, you know, my hey. My sense of of intimacy with another. Were you gonna say something?
1: Oh, Kristen, I was gonna say it won't be long before your kids start sleeping well through the night, and before you know it, you yeah. will have more energy for that. So it's nice to know that no there's kidding. that's unfolding for you. You know, like
3: yeah, your bounty absolutely. awaits. Yeah, <laughs> you shall I be prepared. Be
1: boys,
3: like, yeah less nice on the bottom bunk of a bunk bed and, you know, more in my own bed. Well, that'll be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and how about you? Do you want to weigh in on this topic? We have about uh, five minutes left before we wrap up.
3: Sure. Um, this is Megan. And, um, yeah, I appreciate all of your shares. I could relate to everything, um, at least something of what everybody said Um but I actually also um, come from a bit of a trauma background, like Catherine was talking about, um, and specifically sexual trauma. And, um, and so when I first got sober, um, I started, you know, dealing with things that I, I had tried to deal with when they initially happened, which were in my teenage years and then early college years, and I, I went to therapy and I tried to work it out, and, and honestly just nothing really worked um, until I got sober, Um, And then through the process of getting sober and kind of examining why I was drinking and what was going on and how it got to the point that it did, um, it became really apparent that this trauma had had a lot to do do with it. Um, And so for that reason, I hadn't even realized there were issues going on there. And for me, I felt like I had built up all these walls around myself. And at the time, you know, it was needed for protection. I needed that in order to function with these things that were happening in my brain And then the alcohol kind of helped those walls stand strong. And then when there was no more alcohol, those walls came crumbling down. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard in the beginning for me just to the emotional intimacy even more than the physical. Um, But but I, being the true alcoholic perfectionist I am, I tried to keep all that in and deal with it on my own. Um, Eventually, I did go to a counselor. Um, that helped me work through it, that specialized in trauma, um, and I don't know if I'll ever totally work through it, but um, to a point to where now um, things are really wonderful, and I'm really glad that I can connect um, with my husband mm-hmm. on a deeper level and that the, some of those walls did come down, and, you know, those are walls that both he and I didn't even know existed, and so to kind of work through that and to just be together now is just it's a wonderful gift. So and it, it's scary, you know. It's scary, kind of being there all out, and you're like, ah, I can see everything, and I can feel everything, and I just wanted them out. But in the end, I I do think it gets so much better.
1: Thank you, Megan. You guys have been so great about just sharing so much of your life, so so many personal, private, private things. I mean. Just to, just to share about trauma and, and the fact that that's had, I'm, we we need to do a whole show on this, I think, because <laughs> there's mm-hmm. so much more we could say. But I think we've just at least touched on the fact, and I hope that people listening um, are encouraged to know that, um, if any of this sounds familiar to you, you are not alone, and that there is hope, and that we have, uh, you know, five of us gathered here that are all of us talking about joy and and a better life in recovery despite having some pretty big obstacles that played a role in it. So I'm I'm really touched and moved by all of you, your willingness to share your stories to help other people. Um, we need to close the show. We are way, way over. I apologize to everybody who's having to drive around the block an extra time to listen to the end of this podcast. <laughs> 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 Try to keep it to an hour. There's just way too much to to talk about here. Does anyone have any final thoughts before we uh, close out the show, Amanda?
0: Um, I um, Well, I know we're short on time I was just going to, um, and I don't know Oh, when, Megan, when we were talking about the before and after pictures I just dotted, jotted down One thing that stuck in my head from um, early on in one of the programs I was in Is one image I keep in my head is They say um, getting sober is, is It's like you're a train on train tracks and you come to this big steep hill and at the bottom of the hill there's this wall if you can picture a wall and when you get sober you're getting off the train tracks before it hits the wall but you don't mm-hmm. know where and so that's just it's, it's just this it they actually drew it on the whiteboard in my in my program and it's just it's it, that's an image that i keep in my head like i tend to believe that i got off the um the train 2 seconds before it hit the wall. And so it's just something it's just a thought that I keep in my head and it keeps me grounded when I'm ever you know if I'm ever in doubt that I need to stay sober that 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 pulls me right back. So just wanted to share that.
1: Thanks, and it's Amanda. been a great
0: show everyone. I just really appreciate your shares. Um just an awesome show and thank you Jean for pulling it all together.
1: Oh, my joy. My joy. Um, Catherine, are you 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 just open your heart and bear your soul for all of us? Are you are you shaking right now, honey, or do you have some final thoughts to share with no, us? No,
2: I I I always love being here, and I um you know Megan and Kristen, thank you so much for being here as well. Um, I mean, my big learning with all of these firsts as I've been going along is that you know the power of my self talk can go in a positive direction. You know, I I drank alcoholically for 15 years and um my my self-talk was really negative the whole time about what was possible and what wasn't possible. And now I've just learned I can change my thinking at any time. So if I'm afraid of doing something for the first time, you know, call somebody else in recovery and say, "I'm afraid. I'm, you know, I'm going to a wedding for the first time. I'm I'm going to, you know, whatever." Um Connect with somebody else in recovery And I can I can change my thinking that way And then just do it And it's always, it's always Better than what I anticipate
1: So Thanks that's Catherine Thank you so much Megan any final thoughts before we say goodnight
3: um, My only thought is that You know for me all the first I've gone through in sobriety I've weirdly enough had control over how they've affected me by just trying to have a good attitude and trying to see things as half full instead of half empty and trying to be grateful for what I do have instead of what I'm missing out on, quote, unquote. When I go in there with that kind of attitude, all these scary firsts seem to end up okay. It's when I go in there feeling like, oh, poor me, that they don't go the way I want them to. Um, and I can't control everything, but I can't control my own attitude, and, and that seems to be the way for me to get through all these firsts with my sobriety intact, which is the most important thing to me.
1: Thanks, Megan. Kristen, a- anything you jotted yeah. down or anything you want to say
3: before we say goodnight? I suppose I'll just echo kind of what everyone else is saying and just, you know, reaffirm that, yeah, I mean, like when you're, when you're drinking, you're, you're just not in control of so many different aspects of your life and, you know, I just feel like I'm, you know, I'm in control when I make a decision, it's my decision and I feel, you know, somebody who who has a decent amount of anxiety um, I can, you know, I can kind of work through that now whereas before I was not able to it was paralyzing whereas now I feel like, you know, yes I'm anxious but I can do it and I can engage in that positive self-taught that I never would have been able to before and you know, that has a lot to do with with finding you guys, and thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for being here. So a huge thanks, a big hug, a big Bubble Hour hug to both of you. That's Kristen from tellingthewords.wordpress.com. Megan writes at crazybananas.com. And we are the girls of the Bubble Hour, and you can find us Mm -hmm. at thebubblehour.com. You can listen directly to our shows, or you can share episodes with friends. You can comment. You can subscribe to our podcast. You can, uh, you can poke around. You can even learn the words to the opening music and sing along with us when we open the show. Please. Before we go tonight, I'd like to ask you, please visit Shining Strong's website. That's our parent organization. It's www.shiningstrong.org. You'll find links to all our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, as well as other initiatives that we're involved in recovery advocacy, and that also includes my blog, Unpickled.com. Uh, So, thank you all for being with us tonight. Thanks to our listeners. We love you. We hope that you are all growing with us together, and uh, we look forward to next time. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye bye. Good night. Bye. Bye.